Good morning everybody. Uh, this is going to be our last passage in the book of Acts as we've been preaching our way through the book of Acts over a period of three years. Uh, but it's not going to be our final Acts sermon. We're going to have one last sermon next week where we look at the things that we have learnt over this long journey of working our way through the book of Acts. Uh, we've had so much to give thanks for. Hopefully we've been challenged We've been encouraged, we've been better equipped uh, as God's servants to be on his mission, to be making disciples of all nations. And so as we give thanks to all the things that we have learned so far in our journey, uh, we also come before God now in prayer, giving thanks for what he'll teach us through our time together this morning, uh, but also asking for him to be at work constantly within us. Heavenly Father, we do not study your word just to become more learned about the things that you have given us. We study your word because we want to know you. We want to know you more intimately, the God who created us, the God who loved us enough that even when we rejected you and rebelled against you, would give your only son to die a death on our behalf. And so, Lord, we give you thanks for the things that you have taught us through the book of Acts, where we've seen what Jesus has continued to do by the Holy Spirit through the apostles and what it is you long to continue to do through your people and will forever do until Jesus Christ returns. So, Lord, work within us, encourage us, challenge us, stir us up in our affections for you in our heart for those who do not yet know you. Uh, work in us, change us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we all love a good story, especially a story of someone who triumphs against really, really difficult circumstances. There are lots of movies that orient the whole storyline around this type of thing. It really resonates with us. But one of my favorites, was a man named Shun Fujimoto. He was a Japanese gymnast, and it is particularly his events in the Olympics of 1976 that I find most inspiring. Now, the Japanese gymnastics team have been the gold medal winless at the Olympics four times in a row from 1960 all the way through to 1972. But the Soviet Union was very keen in the 1976 Olympics to take that title away. And in the end, it was so close, it came down to Shun Fujimoto's routine on the rings. Now, what people didn't know at that moment of tension was that in a previous routine on his floor routine, Shun Fujimoto had actually had a bad fall and broken his leg. He continued to go on and do the pommel horse after that, and no one even then detected that he had a broken leg. And here he was, as he goes up to take onto the rings, the Soviet Union was presently ahead and it was going to require a found a, an exceptional effort on behalf of Fujimoto in order for the Japanese to get the gold medal. Now, if you were a betting person and you knew that the gold medal was in the hands of a gymnast with a broken leg 
whose routine finished with a triple somersault and a twist to land on that broken leg. How much money would you put on that? Yet he did go through that routine. It was a fantastic routine. He landed. It was obvious that he was sore. Those who were watching presumed that he'd injured it in that moment, not knowing that he'd actually injured it two events beforehand. And in the end, the Japanese gymnastics team defeated the Soviet Union by 0.4 of a point. It seemed to be a major hindrance, even an impossible hindrance. Yet he overcame and the results went completely the opposite direction than what you expected. Now, as we've been working our way through the book of Acts over a number of years, we've seen Paul have a phenomenal ministry. We've seen thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ as he's proclaimed the wonderful gospel of Jesus. But in these last few chapters, we've seen Paul as a prisoner, as a man on trial, and now who's arrived in Rome and who has a chain connecting him to a Roman soldier. And surely you're thinking now, those ministry, those glory days, they're over. Or at least they must be on hold during this time. But the passage that we're looking at today, Acts 28 verses 16 to 31, tell a very different story of a bold, unhindered, fruitful ministry despite the apparent hindrances. We see gospel invitations, verse 16 to 22. We see gospel proclamation in verse 23. We see gospel responses, verse 24 to 29. And we wrap it all up where we see the word of God is not chained. Beginning first with Gospel invitations. Now, last week, we heard about Paul's traumatic journey from Caesarea to Rome, involving three different boats. On that second boat, there was a time when the situation was known to be bad at this time of year, and Paul said, let's stay here for Fairhaven until the bad season passes, it's not safe. We're going to lose people, we're going to lose boats, we're going to lose cargoes. But they still continued on in this journey. And for 14 days straight, the storm was so bad that they couldn't eat. They had cables wrapped around the boat just to hold it together. And they'd unanimously concluded there is no hope left of us ever being saved. Eventually they did get wrecked up onto a reef. Uh, They made it to the beach on the island of Malta. Some time passes, they get on another boat, which leads them to Italy. They take by, by foot. They eventually arrive in Rome. Now, if that was me, I would need a, I'd probably say I'm taking a week off. I'm just taking some time to recover from everything that I've just been through. But our passage begins that only three days later, Paul is invited the Jewish leaders, the local leaders from Rome, to come and have a chat. Now, although Paul has been slandered in the past by Jewish leaders, Paul's communication with them is respectful. It is kind, it is is gracious, and it's affectionate. You see, Paul's heart for his fellow people to come to know the hope 
of Israel. That hope that we've seen described back in Acts chapter 13, where Paul spoke about how the hope of Israel was that another king would come from the line of David, who would establish a kingdom of God and he would reign forever and would save his people. And with great excitement, Paul looks forward to sharing this great hope being fulfilled and available now in the person of Jesus Christ with these Jewish leaders. And he says, this is the very reason why I am chained today, even though I've been on trial before the Romans and have concluded that I've got nothing against the nation of Israel. I've got nothing against the customs, against the temple. In fact, they have said, I am guilty of nothing deserving imprisonment or nothing deserving death. But the Jews were not satisfied with this. And so he's had to appeal to Caesar to have his case heard before Caesar. And this is why now he is here in Rome and has invited the Jewish leaders to come around for a chat. After all of the things that we've read so far in Acts, we're probably presuming that they're going to be hostile towards Paul. But the reality is we find a very different situation in verses 21 and 22. They said to him, we've received no letters from Judea about you and none of the brothers coming here have reported or spoken anything evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. These people have heard nothing bad about Paul. No official letters from Jerusalem, even those who have traveled from Jerusalem to Rome, none of them have said anything negative about Paul. But one thing they do know is that everywhere people speak negatively about this sect called Christianity. Now, how should we understand this term sect? Are they referring to a group that, from amongst the Jews that just got a few extra slightly different ideas, sort of like the way in which we might within Christianity have different denominations? No, they mean something very different. The word translated as sect here is the word which in English is the equivalent of heresy. So they consider this teaching about Christ, of Jesus Christ, about Christianity, to be not just something that aligns with Judaism, but something that is of blasphemy and opposed to Judaism. But the interesting thing is, they desire to hear from Paul, to hear it out for themselves. So soon we are about to see the very first ever Christianity Explored course run by Paul in his own home, where we see a gospel proclamation. Now, they had appointed a time when they would come and hear from Paul. And what we see is it's not just the same Jewish leaders who return. Other people have come along as well. Now, Paul hasn't said, I want you to bring your friends along. And I can't imagine Paul's there at the door saying, hang on. You weren't here the other day. Where's your invite? He's like, praise the Lord. There's someone else here who's going to have an opportunity to hear the gospel. God is drawing a people and I didn't even ask anything of the nature to happen. So what happened as they spent time together? Did Paul just give them a little 15 minutes spell of the basics of Christians? Did he give them two ways to live or the Roman road? 
it says from morning to evening. We're not talking 15 minutes and pizza and coke. From morning to evening, they met together and they discussed things. And as far as we can tell, as we read through the passage, nobody left before the evening. And as Paul had this great opportunity before him, he seemed to focus all of his attention in two areas, the kingdom of God and Jesus. Firstly, he was testifying to the kingdom. Now, the Jews would have had a hope and an expectation and anticipation of a future kingdom. But what Paul was telling him is that this kingdom has come. This kingdom is very different than the way which you understand it. Even Jesus taught very much this way when he spoke about the kingdom. He'd often teach by saying, and the kingdom of God is like this. As a way of highlighting that the kingdom of God is like very different to how they expected that it would be. This Jesus was the long-awaited Davidic Messiah King of this kingdom, who is the hope of Israel. And the second thing that he taught was trying to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. In other words, trying to convince them that Jesus Christ was not at odds to Judaism, but rather Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all of the hopes and promises of all the law and the prophets. Just like Jesus said himself was. He says, you search the scriptures thinking in them that you have life. But it is they that testify to me that Jesus said in John 5.39. Or to those men on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. It says, and beginning with the law of Moses and the prophets, he explained all of the things spoken concerning himself. Christianity was not a sect or a heretical sect that it was in opposition to Judaism and its teaching in the Old Testament scriptures. Rather, it was the natural and legitimate next stage. The very things which Judaism pointed to, the natural trajectory. All of this happened just in that one verse, verse 23. Now, I'd love if Paul had recorded these things, put them up on YouTube so we could see what transpired over those 10 to 12 hours of things which he spoke of, of the kingdom and of Jesus, but we don't have that available to us. So we have gospel invitations, gospel proclamation, and gospel responses. Like any time when the gospel is proclaimed, there is always going to be one of two responses. Either there will be repentance and faith, or there will be rejection. And on this occasion, things are absolutely no different. You see, this Paul who was trying to convince them regarding Jesus from the law and the prophets, it says, and some of them were convinced. And on the other hand, there were some who disbelieved or, or refused to believe. It was the same message that all of them heard. And just like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, to some, to those who are perishing, it was foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the very power of God for salvation. But the result was, this group of people who were once arrived united in their Jewish beliefs are now divided 
regarding whether or not Jesus was the legitimate fulfillment, the, the final destination of all of the hopes and promises of the Old Testament scriptures. And that division became even more clear when Paul takes the words from Isaiah chapter 6 verses 9 and 10, the same words which Jesus himself takes up in Matthew chapter 13 when he's saying and giving reason why he's teaching in parables. Now Paul takes that same quote and applies it as to why some who hear do not really hear and respond to what he's saying now. Reading from verses 26 to 27, it says, quoting Isaiah chapter 6, 9 and 10, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, with their ears that they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I will heal them. What Paul is saying is, God has foretold this. God has foretold that messengers he will send will go to his people and people will hear the message, but they won't understand. They won't respond favorably. And so Paul concludes that he will take this message of God's salvation to the Gentiles because they will listen. Gentiles are just simply those who were not of ethnic origin of Israel and who would look down upon the Jewish people, who would look down upon the Gentiles. And for them to hear that, that Paul was taking God's message, their God's message of salvation to the Gentiles would have been offensive to them. How did they respond to such an offensive statement? Well, let's have a look at what happens in the next verse, verse 29. Who stole my verse 29? Where's my verse 29 gone? Now, depending on what Bible translation you have in front of you, you may have a verse 29 in your Bible or you might not. The most commonly used English translations use manuscripts from the, from the earliest writings which don't contain the words in verse 29. However, if you've got a New King James or, or an Old King James, you will have a verse 29. So for those of you who don't have verse 29 in front of you, here's a reading from the New King James Version, so you know what you're missing out on. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. So what are you missing out on? You're missing out on a statement that they departed. Because verse 25 has already said that they were disputing these matters. So Acts concludes with a gospel invitation, gospel proclamation, and a gospel response. The word of God is not and cannot be changed. Look at verses 30 to 31 which describe in summary form the final two years of Paul's ministry in Rome, probably leading up to his martyrdom. Verses 30 to 31 says, He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul stayed in Rome for two more years, paid his own rent, so presumably he went back to doing his tent making, 
every indication is he's still chained to a Roman soldier while he does all of these things. But what we've already seen in verses 17 to 29, being a prisoner in chains, while that might seem to be a hindrance to ministry, hasn't been a hindrance to ministry whatsoever at all. People were invited. The gospel was proclaimed. People respond to the gospel. Who would have thought? Who would think that ministry, effective, fruitful gospel ministry could happen when you are in chains? Because this wasn't just a once-off situation with some visitors from Jewish leaders. Verses 30 to 31 tell us that God continued to draw people to Paul and Paul continued to proclaim the kingdom of God and to teach them about Jesus Christ. In a setting that we think was restrictive, would be a hindrance, it says, Paul continued to speak with great boldness and without hindrance. Just like you would have naturally presumed that Shun Fujimoto has no chance of securing that gold medal by carrying out that rings routine with a broken leg. Or you might think, now because we are socially isolated in this COVID-19 situation, that maybe that is a hindrance or, or a blockage to good, fruitful gospel ministry. The word of God is not chained. The gospel is not limited by rules, limitations. The gospel is abundantly powerful and effective. During what seemed to be a restrictive time for Paul, Paul says was actually advantageous. Read about how he speaks about it to the church in Philippi, chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me was really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Rather than being a hindrance to the gospel, Paul says this situation has caused the advancement of the gospel. So much so that the entire imperial guard knows that he's in chains because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who are there and who are hearing the, the kingdom proclaimed and Jesus taught as people came to visit. But it goes even further than that. Let's read a significant greeting that comes up in the final words of the book of Philippians. Chapter 4, verse 22. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So not only has the entire imperial guard come to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ, even some from Caesar's own household, that most powerful empire in the known world at that time, have come to faith in Christ and send their greetings to a fellow church in Philippi. This time in Rome, while Paul was in chains, was not a restrictive time. It was a different time. It, the way in which he did his ministry was different. But it was not a restrictive time at all. He had boldness. He was unhindered. People would come to him, he'd proclaim the gospel and teach them about Jesus. 
But not only do we have the things that we have recorded in verses 30 to 31, during these two years where he was chained to a Roman soldier, he wrote letters. He wrote the New Testament letters of Philippians, Philemon, Ephesians, Colossians, 2 Timothy. And look at what Paul says in that second letter to Timothy in chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is Christ in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. We need to be encouraged. The word of God is not and cannot be chained or bound. Now, some people see the ending of the book of Acts and think there's not really a sense of finality in the way in which it's written. Surely it would be better. It says Paul was there for two years and then after then he was beheaded or you know, bring, bring things, tie things up to bring it to an end. But most conclude there is an intentionality in the way in which it finishes on a sort of unfinished note. Now, this is the same book which in the opening chapter, chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Is the same book which ends with Paul, even though he's chained as a prisoner, speaking boldly about the kingdom and about Jesus Christ completely unhindered. And it intentionally leads in, in that sense of being unfinished because this work is not finished. This mission that was appointed in chapter 1 verse 8 continues right to the end of the book of Acts and continues on. It's the same mission that you and I still have today to proclaim the kingdom, to teach people about Jesus Christ, to call people to repentance and faith. The gospel was not hindered by Paul's chains. The gospel is not hindered by our social restrictions during this COVID-19 period. The gospel is powerful and effective beyond our greatest imagination. The question and the challenge for us is to whom and how will you release this powerful, life-changing gospel to invite people to proclaim and allow people to respond in faith in Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your gospel was not only good news in the first century, it is good news now, it is good news every day until you return again. It is the offer of your salvation through Jesus Christ dying our death penalty on the cross as a punishment for our sin, our rebellion, and our rejection of you, that we might be reconciled to you, to be restored in a relationship with you, to be your servants, to be carrying out that mission of proclaiming the kingdom and of Jesus Christ to a world that was lost, calling them to call upon the wonderful name of Jesus to come and be saved, to be called as your very own children. Help us to have boldness. Lord, you tell us that we, we will be unhindered. 
because you are the God who is in control of all things. Help us to walk in light of the mission you have given us and in confidence of the mission you have and the power of the Spirit and of the Gospel itself. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.